from the team at CTS. This is the Train Rate Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Corinne Malcolm, your host for the running edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of running to bring you actionable training tips you can apply to your training. Make sure you also listen in to our cycling edition of the show with my co-host, Coach Adam Pulford, which alternates weekly with the running episodes. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by the CTS Train Right Membership. The Train Right Membership helps you get the most out of your limited training time so that you can improve your performance and achieve your athletic goals. With the membership, you get access to science-based training plans, an 800-plus workout library, and an app to track your progress, along with advice from professional coaches via an online private form. Go to trainright.com backslash membership to learn where to start and use code TRAINRIGHT for a free 14-day trial. Again, that's code TRAINRIGHT in all capital letters for a free 14-day trial. Today on the show, we welcome a good friend of mine and former training partner from Bellingham, Washington, Maria Dalzot. Maria is not only insanely fast, but she's insanely smart. And she's a registered dietitian nutritionist and a Washington State certified dietitian nutritionist with a master's of science degree in human nutrition and food science. She's the creator and owner of Inspired Eating, a virtual health at every size practice that helps people who feel anxiety and guilt around food engage in disordered eating thoughts and behaviors, and those who are in eating disorder recovery make peace with food and eat in a supportive and nourishing way. Maria works with clients from a trauma-informed and polyvagal theory lens. Consults focus heavily on understanding behaviors, intuitive eating strategies, and shifts in mindset and support. Maria is also a professional mountain ultra trail runner for La Sportiva. Her athletic accomplishments include North American mountain running champion, trail half marathon national champion, and she's been the member of the U.S. national trail team multiple times, competing throughout North America and Europe. I am so happy to have Marie on the show today to further the conversation we had with Elizabeth Carey in regards to body image, well-being, and our relationship with food in the context of sport. I can't wait to dive into this episode with you. Maria, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Corinne. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. I mean, we go way back. I miss you immensely. You're one of my favorite training partners from when I used to live up in Bellingham, Washington. Um, So getting to see your face on my screen (laughs) makes me so happy. Oh, I feel Um, the same. But I wanted to bring you on after chatting with Elizabeth Carey last week. We talked a lot about how our social and cultural stigmas really impact body image and well-being in sport and how that is a timely topic right now, but it honestly, it's an important topic independent of what's going on in the media. And so I wanted to bring you on to kind of continue that conversation because I think you have real expertise in how we as people and as athletes relate to food. And um, I think it's a very tenuous balancing act there. So I think to start real quickly, We're going to be addressing topics on this that could be uncomfortable for some that could they might not be you might not be in the mental space to take this on. And that is okay. Um, We're going to be talking about disordered eating. And I just we're going to try to keep this as obviously as safe a space as possible for those listening. Um, But we just want to say that right now, this might not be 
a topic for everyone and that is okay. Um, you can always revisit this topic down the road. And is there anything that you want to add to that before we dive in? No, I think you, you, you hit it, Corinne, that, um, you know, it's not up for us to, um, it's, it's up for you, the listener, the viewer to decide what feels safe. And so, um, we can do the best we can to make that, uh, feel comfortable for you. But if it's not feeling right for you today or tomorrow or the next day, that's okay. So make sure you just take care of yourself, um, um, as you, as you listen to this, or if you decide not to. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I think it's, I, I've learned a lot in the last couple of weeks about how I vocalize some of these things or talk about some of these things and what's going to be safe for me versus safe for someone else. Um, and it's led to a lot of really interesting conversations, even with just my running friends. So we're going to continue that trend today um, with Maria potentially correcting me if, uh, if I say something totally out of left field. But big thing here. So you're a registered dietitian. Um, and I know that by default, you end up working with a lot of athletes, a lot of runners, but I know you practice um, kind of a form of nutrition that looks, I think, different than what a lot of people would expect given given the the people that you work with. And I'm wondering um, if you can give our listeners some insight into how that practice looks for you and how that looks for you and your patients. Yeah, I think when uh, from from what I've from what's been my experience is that when people reach out. Uh, with the expectation of seeing a dietitian, there's um, sometimes the expectation that I'm going to analyze their diet or per- perhaps provide meal plans. There are others who who think of a registered dietitian as the food police, or that I'm going to uh, be very judgmental or even shaming of the types of foods and behaviors that they have. Um, other people reach out with um, there's a, um, a correlation between uh, or an association between registered dietitian and the pursuit of weight loss and uh, body manipulation. And so um, I do none of that. Um, and so I, I set up a free discovery call so that the expectation is clear on both ends when I first talk to people, because oftentimes one of those things I just listed is what the um, perceived expectation of a registered dietitian is. And so um, I am a, um, I am, I consider my practice more of a nutrition therapy. I don't care so much. I don't care at all. We actually never talk about food. I I don't care what you eat, how you eat, you know, what time you eat, all of these things that are often associated with, um, talking with a, a dietitian, um, I care about the intention behind the food that you eat, how food makes you feel um, from uh, an emotional standpoint. Um, do you have an anxiety around food or your body? Do you have a preoccupation with food? Do you feel scared around certain types of food? Um, do you feel like you need to follow food rules in order to be okay? So. Um, so the uh, predominant group of people that I work with, while they all happen to be runners, I don't explicitly work with runners or athletes. I work with human beings, and my um, my clients are on a on a spectrum of ranging from people who are in active eating disorder recovery, who engage in disordered eating behavior, and who have. Um, 
have been a part of chronic dieting for perhaps decades of their life. And they're just to a point where they are so exhausted of the mental turmoil and the physical um, fighting with their body that they have had enough. And so it's my job to help foster confidence in helping my clients learn to trust their bodies again, because we were all born with this innate ability to trust our bodies. It's because of um, our, you know, all these different factors, including trauma, including diet culture, including, you know, our, our upbringing that we've adopted these external rules that, that teach us, you can't trust yourself. And so, helping foster trust in, in, in their bodies so that they can um, um, break free from that kind of language and instead turn into their body wisdom. <laughs> There's so much more I could say that we do, and I'm, I'm rambling already, but that I hope gives people um, um, at least a very, in a nutshell, the difference between the work that I do and, and perhaps the perceived um, expectation of what a what a registered dietitian does. No, but I think that's really interesting. This idea, this this kind of rebalancing of this thing should be intuitive, right? Food should be intuitive. But I think, I mean, even as a person sitting here who I feel like I haven't necessarily struggled with, um, maybe at least an eating disorder, maybe disordered eating, because as a as a thirty something year old who's been in sports for a long time, the likelihood of totally avoiding disordered eating thought, even if it's, you know, brief, is probably like almost impossible. And so thinking about this, how can athletes, and we'll dive further and further into this, I'm sure, how is an athlete when, particularly an endurance athlete or an ultra endurance athlete, how can we refocus on intuitive eating when I think there are parts of our sport that naturally or subconsciously force intuition out of it, either by forcing calories in or neglecting those signals. You know, I don't always necessarily feel hungry. Um, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a, and I'm like the buildup over, you know, decades of doing sport. Um, but how can an athlete re-engage in the intuitive side of eating if they're feeling a disconnect there? Yeah. And if I may, Corinne, just kind of talk about, um, cause I think intuitive eating gets thrown around a lot, especially, um, it's being adopted in, in wellness culture right now. And, and I think people mistaken intuitive eating as another, either another diet or something that they can get right or wrong. And so I just want to clarify that, um, um, eating intuitively is, is an, is having the ability to recognize and respond to our current needs and predict our future needs. And I think a lot of the times it's like, oh, you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full. But, um, and, and if I can just raise my hand of my own growth, when I started um, um, specializing in intuitive eating, I, 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 thought, okay, we need to help people tap into their hunger cues and, you know, not be afraid of fullness. And then as I started working with clients who, you know, they, I I started realizing that, you know, some of them can't even feel hunger and it has nothing to do with athletic performance. It could be of years of ignoring hunger cues. And so we lose that ability. Um, A lot of my clients have experienced trauma in their life. 
and understanding the effects that trauma has on our our um, biological response, on our ability to eat normally is huge. And more than 75% of people who have eating disorders have experienced trauma. And so it, it was this big realization on my part that it's like, of course, um, people are going to have trouble eating when they're hungry because hunger is a foreign concept. And so if you're out there and you're like, I can't feel hunger or I don't know what that feels like to me, I, I see you. I, I just want to validate that experience because it can feel really frustrating when you're on. Um, and I feel myself getting kind of activated now because I get really uh, fired up about it. But it's really frustrating to me when I see messages on social media that I understand are well-meaning, but it's like, oh, just just eat enough. Just eat. What? Look at me. Eat this burger. See how easy it is if I just eat this. When I, you know, I hear the frustration and the struggle, and the the depression in my clients. You see that, and either they think that doesn't apply to me, or that's just too too scary, or I don't know how to do that and feel safe in my body. So. Um, I don't think I answered your question at all, Corinne, and <laughs> I apologize for that. No. But um, uh, I just wanted to um, to validate that experience that for those of you who who hear or see things about intuitive eating and how oh it looks easy we we were all born with this ability why can't I do it well you can't do it because we're we're all swimming in this 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 shit soup called diet culture and also we have past experiences that are that biologically within our system change how we can interpret these things so it is not a a a deficit of yours or a default of yours it is something that that can be relearned with practice so um so i am not here to to fix you. You don't need to be fixed. And I think that's another thing people come to a dietitian for is please fix me, fix, fix me, fix my diet, fix my running, fix my weight. You don't need to be fixing. You need to understand what's happening inside your body. And, and once we bring some understanding into what's happening, um, a lot of the shame and the blame and the guilt gets, um, gets quieter and we can bring in some more um, grace and compassion. Yeah. I think that that's really, really important. And I kind of want to dive, like dive into some of that here with the, with the relationship between trauma and disordered eating, there being a high correlation there in part, because I think it's easy to sit here and be like, I've never experienced trauma. Trauma has to be this huge event like what hardship have I have I experienced in my life? But at the same time, we've all survived a pandemic. That's absolutely true. That is traumatic. And so mm -hmm. what, you know, having worked with many, many people through this, like what and and people sitting in my same, my same shoes maybe saying, What trauma have I experienced? What does that look like, you know, little T trauma, big T trauma as far as how we can relate things that might not have seemed significant at some point to maybe this disordered relationship with with diet and and food in general. Yeah, and I think it will first help to to um, clarify what trauma really means, and when when someone is traumatized, or when or when someone is, uh, has experienced trauma, trauma is not about the experience that happened. It's not what 
the event that happened. It's what happens in the body as the as a result of experiencing an event or series of events that your body was, it was beyond our ability to cope at the time. And, and often without the presence of a um, compassionate witness. So oftentimes one of the best definitions I've heard of trauma is of feeling overwhelmed and being alone. And so we oftentimes trauma is talked about from uh, a psychological perspective, but we also need to talk about it from a biological perspective. So, um, so you mentioned big T and little t traumas, and I and big T traumas are oftentimes what people think of when they think of trauma. So, so um, uh, sexual assault, getting in a car accident, going to war, being part of a, a natural disaster; those are all. Um, what's considered a, a big T uh, traumatic event, but there are also what what I refer to as small T traumas, and these are um, this can be chronic stress. Chronic stress can um, look very similar to a big T trauma on our body. Um, trauma is also um, small microaggressions that occur um, throughout our childhood. Um, if you're being told that your body is wrong, that your body needs to be fixed, that um, if you are made to feel unwelcome in your body over and over and over again, that is trauma. Um, if you have caregivers that are inattentive, if you have unpredictable um, parents, if you have um, uh, dismissive parents, these are all trauma and they affect our nervous system and why that's important is our our nervous system. I, I liken to um, um, you know how in our house we have a fire alarm, and our fire alarm just kind of sits there. It's always there, running in the background, and we don't we aren't aware of it, but it's always there, and it's constantly saying like, "Is there smoke? Is there smoke? Are you safe? Are you safe? Are you safe? Is there smoke? You know, do we need to get out? Are we okay? Are we okay?" And that's exactly what our nervous system does. It is constantly checking, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I okay? Am I okay? And when we experience trauma, our nervous system is running on a fear setting. And eating disorders is running on a fear setting. And so if you think about when you're scared, when you're scared about anything, it's really hard to know um, what hunger feels like when you're scared, right? Um, I, I often tell people, you know, if you're running on a trail and a bear is coming up to you, you're not thinking, oh, I wonder what that bear wants, right? Oh, isn't he, you know, like there's no, there's no room for curiosity. It's get me the hell out of here. My life is in danger. And so it's hard to know what feels good to eat if a tiger is chasing you. And so my goal is to bring the implicit work of the nervous system into explicit awareness so that we're able to befriend that, to bring some predictability and to know, oh, I, I, I've noticed that I feel activated and I'm, and I'm, I'm feeling some fight in me or I, I, I notice that I'm starting to shut down and start to notice and name these things. And then we are able to resource that and help people get into this place where they feel safe enough in order to um, know what they need. And so I talk a lot about identifying needs and being able to um, resource that from our body. So there's a lot of somatic work in there as well. 
Yeah, that's that fight or flight, that rest or digest, that dysregulation of those systems, which we need to work in order to for our bodies to function, you know, normally to keep that regulation going. Um, I know I've told you in passing that I've been, I've, you know, even as an adult, I've had people say, oh, you don't look like an ultra runner. You don't, oh, oh, what, like what do an, what, in my mind, I'm sitting here going, what does an ultra runner look like? And I say that with a lot of privilege. I'm sitting here in a smaller body, like, and that still, that impacts me and like my, my view of myself and my, my view of belonging in this sport. And so what, you know, obviously little T trauma, cortisol spike, feeling that feeling, internalizing that feeling, what can I do? What can other people do who are experiencing these things to, to reground themselves or to find, you know, to come to settle the nervous system if the nervous system is super heightened to this like fight or flight constant state? Yeah. And I just want to, again, validate your feelings, Corinne, um, because like you said, even though there's a lot of, of privilege in your stance and I'm, 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 and I'm in the same boat, right? We, we come with a lot of unearned privileges. And I just want to say that if anyone comments weight, whether it's applauding weight loss, it reinforces um, applauding weight loss or weight or anything for anybody reinforces weight stigma for everyone. And so I just want to, and, and I'll get to your, your question about regulating the nervous system, but I also want to just put this out here because I think it's um, really crucial to look inside, which might make um, others uh, feel uncomfortable. And so I don't say this in order to be shaming in any way, but, but just um, inviting you to be curious about your own perspective about um, uh, stigmatizing weights and seeing when you when you say things unintentionally of because of, this is another thing that I see all the time. Um, there's this fear of runners getting fat. And I see things again, well, intentioned of like, oh, don't worry, this this won't make you fat. And what that tells me is fat is bad, right? And fat is not bad. And and but that message is reinforcing the stigmatizing language of, oh, there must be something wrong. We must avoid this at all costs. And so we all have an anti-fat bias. And I am saying we all, because again, we're living in a, a society that is, um, is, is uh, a system of beliefs that values thinness and equates being thin to being healthy and moral virtue. And so I just invite you all to think about the messages that you perhaps are sending by saying, oh, don't worry, this won't make you fat. How does this make a person, uh, a fat person feel? Right? The terms obesity, how does that make a fat person feel? Fat people take that as a slur. They take that as really harmful, hurtful. They won't go to the doctor. They um, uh, can, can um, be participate in self-harming behaviors because of it. And so I just want to, um, again, I'm getting off on a tangent, but it's just something that I, I want to say because um, you're giving me a mic here, Corinne, and I just want to <laughs> share these things that, that really kind of um, get, get me fired up. But uh, just 
just stopping and thinking about, um, especially if you're a coach, um, especially if you're a parent, these things that you're saying, um, really be curious about your own thoughts and beliefs about um, food and body and what has influenced you. What has influenced you? What can the message that you're saying be perceived from the other person? So, um, okay, I digress, Corinne. I'm sorry. I'll go back to your <laughs> original question, um, which you you were asking me about when we're in dysregulation, how can we bring some regulation to our nervous system? And this is something that is, I don't want to give the illusion that this is like a one and done. Oh, you just do this and then you're going to be regulated and then you're going to be fine. And it's a constant, um, we are constantly going in and out of regulation, dysregulation, all throughout the day. It's this constant um, um, ebb and flow. And so the goal is not to stay in this regulated, zen, safe place all the time, but it's our ability to be able to come back to it. And so there are a lot of people who get stuck in these activated places of either being in fight or flight or being really shut down. And so, um, so being able to come back to this place of safety to be able to feel okay enough, the best thing that we can do to start off is noticing what's going on and naming it. Because so often we're just so quick, so quick to go throughout our day that we just kind of take it for what it is and um, don't stop and be curious about what's going on. So, um, So something to help bring regulation is to slow down slow down, notice what you're, notice what you're noticing, feel what you're feeling and name it, put a name to it. I notice that I'm feeling really sad right now. I notice that I'm having the thought that I feel really full. And this is bringing about thoughts of a a fear of my body changing. I notice that I'm having the thought that I'm feeling really upset right now. So saying it out loud to yourself, writing it down, but bringing attention to what's happening in the moment will just help slow things down and take you into the present moment. So that's a just basically mindful awareness can bring some regulation. Yeah. I think being that mindfulness is really important and it will bleed into other areas of running and of life in general, being able to slow down, being able to take a step back and exhale. Yes. And ground yourself and say, okay, what what is this? Why is this? I ask athletes to ask themselves why a couple times. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. Okay, well, why am I tired? Okay, I, I'm I'm tired because I didn't sleep last night. Okay, why didn't I sleep last night? To just ask themselves why a couple times. And I feel like that can be kind of taken into that practice too of I feel really overwhelmed right now. Okay, why why do I feel overwhelmed right now? Just naming it and getting yeah. to that spot where it allows mm-hmm. you to exhale and Mm -hmm. identify Mm -hmm. what's causing these sensations and each why pulls back another layer every why pulls back another layer yeah we're onions we're onions pulling back layers of why we're onions we're just a bunch of onions (laughs) (laughs) i like that That i think explains why i'm crying all the time (laughs) yes yes it's not emotional dysregulation or anything it's it's definitely just on being an onion (laughs) And having to bathe, bathe in those whys. Um, so I think 
One thing that I want to talk about, it's actually something that I got corrected on recently, which was really interesting. And it made me really reflect on my relationship with food. And this kind of came about with all everything in the news about University of Oregon and me discussing these things publicly and, you know, talking about my own, I don't know, my own relationship, giving advice, um, that kind of thing. And, and I use the phrase, well, like food is fuel. Like you need it. Like you need it to do these things that you're trying to do. And um, a woman from Opal reached out and said, hey, like food is so much more than that. And I was like, oh, okay. So my like my individual relationship with food has been steered in this way and trying to reestablish what else my relationship with food might be has been this kind of like this task over the last couple of weeks um, since having this conversation. And I'm wondering if there are other people listening to this nodding along how can they reestablish what their relationship or or that food is so much more than uh, what what we think it might be in a narrow window? Yeah, that's funny that somebody from from Opal reached out to you because um, I gave a presentation at Opal <laughs> talking about how to talk to athletes about um, about food and nutrition, and my I think my first point was food is not fuel. <laughs> And, and it certainly is. It certainly is, Corinne. It definitely is. But oftentimes that's the only context in which food is talked about. And I think the reason that that can be, um, um, you know, when taken literally, it's like, oh, well, if I'm just fuel, it kind of feeds on that other really terrible um, uh, 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 metaphor that is often given to athletes is, oh, you're a machine. We got to feed the machine. You got to feel so it's you're just a robot, basically. And so I and, and it takes away all the pleasure and um, emotion and humanness away from food. And so kind of um, even when I first started started out, my whole kind of MO was widening our perspective on what food means to us so that we can have a more positive celebrated relationship with food. And so if we if we think of food as strictly just fuel, we're denying ourselves of our of our humanity, of our needs, of our emotions, of our ability to connect with others. And and so um, food is is so many things. Food is so emotional. And again, in, in diet culture, we're told that being an emotional eater is a bad thing. But food is 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 inherently emotional. It's not something that is wrong with us. Think about when we're babies and we're crying. The very first thing that our mother does to comfort us is feed us. It's within our biology that food is comforting. And actually when... Um, um, we eat food, when we put food in our mouth, it lights up the same area in our brain that a hug would. And so if you're lacking connection or connection feels too scary, but you need that in your life, food is a fantastic resource to help feel that connection. Um, Food can keep people alive. I can eat a certain dish that my grandfather made when I was seven. He passed away when I was eight and he's he's alive here with me again. And that's really, really powerful. And so I well, there's certainly nothing inherently wrong by saying food is fuel because it, it objectively it is. But I don't want to dismiss the fact that it is also tradition, it is culture, it is humanity, it is our ability to connect, it's our ability to, uh, it's, it's a lot of people's love language. 
And so I just don't want to discredit all these roles that food plays because there are so many. And oftentimes when I'm giving this presentation live, I love to go around the room and share like what what role does food play? Like, what do you think of when you think of food? And it and it brings about this, you know, people start smiling and they start sharing stories and there's so much emotion there. And so we're often told, take the emotion out. Like, that's impossible because we are not robots. We are not machines. It And, and so that kind of... Um, uh, of of like oh we're we're just fuel and you got to feed the machine it takes away the humanity out and oftentimes that is part of the work that I do is reminding my clients that you are a human with needs and really recognizing um, the, our our own humanity in that. Yeah, I think even at a high performance level, right? Like it's saying it's saying food is fuel is is too narrow of a window because even at a high performance level those are still humans they still have other things going on outside of the as we said before we started recording the very small window a day that each of us is actually outrunning and while i think if i reflect on where that where that sentence comes from for me probably comes from a place where I probably could have fallen into undereating and underfueling just like with high stress and at trying to really perform at the at the highest level that telling myself food is fuel was a way to protect myself from from undereating but I can see how that'd be so easily turned on its head for someone else where it's like well food is fuel like I didn't really do much today so I don't deserve as much fuel mm-hmm. or this is the best fuel that I can give and it it all of a sudden we- this, you know, like the thing that makes me more angry than anything else is like when we demonize food. Mm-hmm. Like even people I love sometimes demonize oh, yeah, food. Yeah. And- or even putting food on a pedestal, Corinne. I can't stand right. it. No, I can't stand it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. It's, it's okay. It's like the argument there of like, you know, how you talk about food is really important. And you're saying, you know, like, so how do we have that conversation with athletes when the ones, and this is there. People listening will be coaches, they'll be parents, they'll be athletes who might just be sitting here nodding along in agreement. How do we talk about? You know, you've talked about okay, what is you know, if you just sit here with your eyes closed, what does food mean to you? And that brings about a smile. But how do we, how do we as a parent talk to our kids about food, or how do we as a as an adult t- coaching high school cross country or college cross country or or other adults like how do we? steer that conversation, shift that conversation from food is fuel um, to something more substantial than that? How, like, Because I think, yes, what we say is so important, but what we don't say, or if we don't say anything, that also has implications. And so trying to, to yeah. balance that and not be um, like a, a passive passenger in that, like really like fi- like doing the best possible for our children, for our athletes, for our teammates, whatever that might be. Like how how do we shift the conversation mm-hmm. under that lens? Yeah. And I, I just want to say that's a, it's a delicate balance, right? It's hard, especially if it's a, it's a, a foreign way of doing things. But um, truthfully, the best guidance I can give in regards to that is for parents, coaches, caregivers, um, to be curious about the, whether it's the student athlete, the child, whoever, whoever it is, um, ask them, do not make assumptions. 
do not make assumptions. You are not the expert. Um, Corinne mentioned in an email before doing this, like you're the expert. And and I just want to say that's, I, I appreciate that Corinne, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm so far from an expert because I don't live in the bodies of my clients. We can only be the expert of ourselves. I don't live in your body. I don't have your likes and dislikes. I don't have your stress level. I don't have your past experiences, your relationships, your job, your career, your kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we cannot make assumptions about other people. And so ask them how they're feeling. Ask them, hey, how did it make you feel when you heard so-and-so talk about this today? Hey, how does this food feel in your belly? Hey, are you, you know, what are you in the mood for? How did, you know, asking questions and getting curious. Um, and, and I keep repeating curious over and over again, because if we're not curious, we're judgmental. And so making sure that it's coming from a gentle place and not one of, of being um, uh, uh, attacking, because then that can just make the other person become defensive and then you get nowhere. So coming from a, a very gentle place of, oh, hey, how did, how did that feel today? Oh, I heard, you know, if you're a parent and I don't know, you knew that the, yeah, how's that coach making you feel? Does that coach ever say anything that makes you feel like, like you're sad or like something's wrong? So creating a space to have an open dialogue um, and being there and listening and taking their experience, uh, whatever it is. And so that's the best guidance I can give in, in that situation is being curious, don't make assumptions, and create a space where your um, your person, who, if, whether it's a young person or a, an athlete or of any age or anybody, <laughs> to be able to cultivate that a relationship that they feel safe enough to come to you and be like, hey, yeah, I felt kind of, I felt kind of icky when they, you know, they they commented on my on my whatever, you know, and that just didn't feel good, and so. Um, yeah, I think that that would be the, the best of a guidance I can give in regards to that. Yeah. I love the be curious because the other side of curious is judgment or judgmental. And I think that's really important. I think that's going to resonate with lots and lots of folks. Um, I think something that we've talked about on the trail for sure is what we consume and not consume as in, in what we're putting in our bodies, but what we're putting maybe in through our eyes in through, in through how we're um, relating to the world, be it Strava, be it Instagram, be it Twitter or Facebook, or these things that inundate us that live on our phones that can be there 24 seven. How, I think this is the other side of things, right? You can model behavior. You can, you're, you can talk to loved ones, all this stuff, but how is it at the individual now? Like, I know personally, I've had to do things like unfollow friends yeah. or unfollow call, like peers yeah. in the sport because they don't make me feel good about myself. And yeah. someone slid into my DMs and asked that same thing recently on Instagram about, you know, is it a responsibility to the people sitting there with privilege to not post these things? And my response was, well, you don't have to like maybe it's us consuming it. That's the issue. And I'm wondering what kind of advice you can give to those out there listening about consumption of these ideas and these messages. Right, right. 
Yeah, it's what we can and cannot be in control of, right? Like we can't control what other people post, what other people share. Um, If we try to control that, it will be a losing battle and certainly not good for our own health. But the good news is, is that we are in charge of what our intake is. We are in charge of what we see, what we listen to, who we talk to. We can set boundaries there. We could have a whole other conversation on boundaries. But setting that boundary there, and I know that puts the that puts the responsibility on you as the consumer of these things. But it goes back to um, sitting with yourself and saying, "Oh man, I noticed that when I when I'm talking to this person, I feel like I'm getting angry, or I feel sad, or I feel like I'm just not good enough, or I feel like I have to change something about myself." If you're having these activated feelings or just feeling off be curious about it. Ask like, what is it? Oh, this person is, you know, either making me feel bad, kind of forcing some, um, whether implicit or explicit message on me, you can mute them. You can unfollow, you can stop doing these things. And so you are in, um, charge of what you are exposed to. And Corinne, if I may go off on a tangent a little bit, Of course. Um, Thank you. Um, If your social media feed is filled with nothing but runners, please, please, please give it a makeover. My, my, your feed, it, it, if your feed is filled with just runners, your perception of the world is going to be very small and inaccurate. So my invitation to you is to make sure that you have a variety of all different shapes and sizes, fat people, thin people, people of all different shapes and sizes, animals, different content, variety. So please go through um, if your feed and scroll through and see what you're being exposed to every day. I mean, let's be real. I'm going to be honest. I'm on Instagram all the time. If all I saw were runners, oh, I'd be like really depressed. I have, I follow very few runners. And so, because I know that that doesn't make me feel good, that is a small part of my life. And so making sure that your world is being, um, uh, you have a correct um, uh, um, conceptualization of the world and not just, oh, everybody looks like this or everybody needs to look like this. It's no, it's, we were all born different shapes and sizes with different likes and dislikes. And the best way I can explain this is look at, look at dogs. We all love dogs. Dogs comes in, come in all shapes and sizes and we don't try to change them into other types of dogs. We love them, all of them, unless they're mean dogs. You know, we don't like the mean dogs, but most dogs we all love. And so we should have a, a variety of, of um, content in our feed. Thank you yeah, for letting appreci- me go on that tangent. No, it's, it's great. I think it's that appreciation of, of humans, right? And you're right. I, I've tricked the algorithm into feeding me mostly puppies oh, because wonderful. puppies make me happy. But I did. I had to. I recognized all of a sudden that I was feeling stressed and not necessarily angry, but like, I was all of a sudden I felt this feeling and I was like, oh, I know what this feeling is. And so I needed to remove a set of of runners from my feed because that that was the messaging I was getting. That was the yeah. I think it was runners and crossfitters. It was a bunch of athletes. And I was like, OK, this needs to go mm-hmm. unless they are my close, close friend, because right. it was not, you know, not to say that it was like 
I was triggered by my my feed, but I I was it 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 provoked feelings in me that I did not like, and so it it has changed my uh, relationship that is still probably too strong with social media. But yeah, it's it's a it's a great form of self care, and sometimes I forget that 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 people are still have some troublesome feeds and become activated by them. And cause I, they share, they tell me things that they've seen and I'm like, Oh man, people are still doing that. Cause I, I don't, I'm not exposed to it anymore. I don't see, I don't see the stuff that's just shit anymore. And so when I hear people tell me that that still exists, it's so disappointing. Cause I, 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 you know, in my world, it's just stuff that makes me laugh and smile, which um, I feel I feel grateful that it's gotten to that point. And I just hope that people can have a better, more positive experience with social media. And it is possible. You are in charge of that. Yeah. Social media is not it might be mostly bad, but it's not all bad and there's good mm-hmm. in it, but you get to, you are in charge. You are the the captain of your social media ship and that you get to choose what messaging is coming in through that. And kind of on that theme, this is a busy time of year for all of us. It's the holiday yes. season. Things are speeding up and slowing down all at the same time somehow. Um, I know you are very busy and in part that is because we are being inundated. I listen to the radio. We are being inundated by marketing campaigns and ploys and it's just it's really really stressful i think for for all of us to get this subliminal messaging constantly in and around the holiday season and so i'm just wondering what can the listeners at home do to either combat what's currently going on or prepare for what's coming over the next you know four to six weeks as we make our way through the holiday season the holiday season is the olympics of diet culture it is very difficult. It's very difficult for people all along the spectrum on their relationship with food, um, whether you're, you know, fighting diet culture messages or you're visiting family that you haven't seen in a couple years because of COVID. And um, I'll do. I'm doing a lot of work right now with my clients around setting boundaries and how difficult that is, but how absolutely crucial it is to set boundaries with the people that you are around, um, especially if you've been working on your relationship with food. And and oftentimes these situations that we're going to with family, it's predictable. You know who's going to say the things that are going to bother you, whether it's your mom, it's your weird uncle, like it's predictable. And so what can we say to combat those um, inappropriate messages so that we don't shut down or become into a threat response so that we can stay grounded and stay present. Um, so setting boundaries with, with those people or setting boundaries with yourself, understanding what it is that you will and won't accept is, is really important. So I just want to just validate uh, uh, all of you who are dreading. <laughs> I have a lot of clients dreading going home, going to see family that they haven't seen in a long time because they are perhaps going to the place where they were first experienced traumatic messages that they weren't good enough or their body was wrong. And so um, it's very easy to all of a sudden be 10 years old again when you're being put back in the situation and feeling like you have no choice. And so I just want to be here to remind you that 
if and when you go to a place that um, causes a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain, you are in charge. You can set boundaries. You can decide who you talk to, who talks to you, if you want to stay or if you want to go. You have choice now here in 2021. You are not uh, a child anymore with no resources. So I just want to um, kind of, you know, just my thoughts and compassion are with all of you who are struggling with that. Um, the other thing that I want to um, uh, offer you all is uh, is to offer yourselves self-compassion during this time because it is so hard and it is so stressful um, between the people, the food, the constant moving, like you said, the, the slowing down and speeding up. It's this kind of uh, dichotomy of all the things. And so um, something that I, I like to do and I um, – it's, it's something that's very simple, if I may share, Corinne, is just a, a really simple, mindful, self-compassion practice. And um, if it feels okay um, for for the listeners or, or viewers watching, if it feels good, you can put your hand on your chest. And if you're feeling activated or you're feeling just like overwhelmed, you can say, this is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a normal part of being human. May I be kind to myself? And then you can say a kind statement about yourself, like, um, this is really hard, but I'm trying my best. Or I've gotten through this before. I can do it again. I can do hard things. And just that pause, that moment of reflection, of reminding yourself, oh, okay, this is, I'm having a human experience. We all, we all suffer. And there collectively, there's a, there are a lot of us out there suffering right now for many reasons. And so, um, for me, this practice just helps remind me like, okay, I'm not alone. (laughs) This is a human experience and I can slow down and still be kind to myself because, um, beating ourselves up doesn't get us anywhere. Yeah. I think that's, and that's something that you can take into, Setting those boundaries can be about anything, right? Like I know in and around my injury this past year, I had to set boundaries with with my loved ones because they really wanted to know how I was doing and when I was going to race next and what was going on. And I had to say, hey, I I care about you. This is not something I want to talk about. Like I'm getting a lot of questions about it and it doesn't make me feel good. And I just, I, I would really prefer not to talk about it right now. And that saved me the being short, being angry, being mean, because that's how I would be or how I would get if I fought through that conversation. Right, right. And setting that boundary is important, be it around your body, be it around food, be it around whatever it is. Like you get to set those boundaries and it's okay to set those boundaries. Absolutely. And if you don't set them, people aren't going to know. And so they don't don't know it's stressing you out. They don't know. And so um, my favorite quote around boundaries is actually from um, Cheryl Strayed. And she said, um, boundaries teach people how to treat you and they teach you how to respect yourself. And so ultimately, if you set boundaries, oftentimes people think it'll bring you further apart. But if you set boundaries in a way that is kind and in a way that is um, when you're not in a threat response, like you're not defensive, it can bring people closer together because then they know what's okay for you and um, and you're respecting yourself. And so you can be a better person to them. That's so it's such a perfect way for us to, I think, slowly wrap things up today before I just keep you 
on Zoom for forever and ever. <laughs> um, but I've got a few short questions that I'd love to ask before I let you go. Sure. And they've been kind of a cool question to ask a lot of people um, through like who who span, you know, their relationship to sport in a lot of different ways. And so the first one has two parts. Okay. And the first question I like I've been liking to ask people is what is something that you wish that you knew when you first started trail running? Okay. And then what is something that you wish you knew when you first started working as a registered dietitian alongside runners and athletes? Okay. Um, what I wish I knew when I first started trail running is that there's room to problem solve. You can walk. <laughs> you can literally take a nap and get back up and finish the race. <laughs> and honestly, I that that is so true truthfully what I wish I knew when I um, first started trail running because I coming from a, a competitive track and cross country background like it was completely foreign the concept of of having room for error and that's such a cool thing about uh, as you know Corinne with our sport is there's room for error you can stop and and figure things out and and um and there's a lot of grace with our sport. And I just think that's so cool. And that's something that I wish, wish I knew, um, that it was okay to walk. It was okay to slow down. It's okay to stop. And, and yes, I have taken a nap in the middle of a race for an hour, got up and finished. So all things are possible. <laughs> I wish I knew that. Um, Part two of your question, what I wish I knew before I started working as a registered dietitian. Um, again, if I'm being truthful, I wish I knew I didn't want to be a registered dietitian. <laughs> I, I resonate more um, with the therapy side of things. And so actually, I've applied to grad school next year to become a, a trauma psychotherapist. And so I, I'm grateful for the journey that being a dietitian has, has brought me because it it truly brought me to what I feel most passionate about. But going back, it's, I never felt um, like it never made sense to me to be telling people what to eat. And when I started going deeper and deeper and things started making sense to, and, and I owe that to my clients for being my um, inspiration and teaching me. And I feel forever grateful for them. That's, I think, really, really special. And I think that what a cool thing to marry together as well because there is so much trauma tied up in all of this. So yes. that will be amazing. I'm yeah, so happy for you, you and so Thanks, excited for this next chapter. Um, a question, another question I really liked to ask is, what is something that you've read, watched, or listened to recently that might resonate with the listeners? Okay. Um, uh, may I offer a couple? Yes. Okay. So for Listen, um, a really great podcast that my clients and I like just love, it's called Maintenance Phase. And they um, debunk just diet culture BS in the most thoughtful, smart, sassy way. Um, a lot of F-bombs there. Like if you're like at all like repulsed by the word fuck, don't listen because it's like every other word, but it's awesome. They're so funny. Like they, they make you laugh and they're stood, it, it's, they're just awesome. And it, there's so much power to the words that they say. So I cannot recommend that podcast enough. It's called Maintenance Phase. And as far as um, books go, I um, one thing that is um, very impactful, and I just want to just 
um, also say that if you decide to read this to bring a lot of um, a kindness to yourself uh, because it's a really powerful and uh, emotional, impactful book. It's called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Being Fat. So that's by Aubrey Gordon, and it talks about a fat person's experience living in this world and the stigma that they receive. And it is very, very difficult to read, very, um, uh, like I said, just very emotional. And so I just want to put that out there that uh, make sure you're in a good space before reading that. But I think it is just so, so, so important to read. So those are my those are my two recommendations. And again, that book is by Aubrey Gordon. And, and coincidentally, Aubrey Gordon is one of the co-hosts of Maintenance Phase. And so those two would pair very nicely together. That's awesome. I'm adding them both to my list. This is the second awesome. recommendation I've gotten from from friends and otherwise for Maintenance Phase. So I'm really okay. excited. Oh, you won't be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. So the last question I have is, obviously, you're a very busy person. You're running, <laughs> you're working, you're doing it all. Where can people find you if they have questions, if they're curious about what you do? Where can people find you? Thank you for for asking that. I I'm super easy to get hold of. I'm just my full name Maria Delzot on Instagram. You can also go to my website, which is Maria Delzot RD. The RD stands for Registered Dietitian. Um, there's a contact page there. You can reach out to me. Um, as I um, meant, alluded to at the beginning of our conversation, there's a, an option to do a free discovery call if you want to share with, if you have any interest but have some hesitations, concerns. Um, I, I, it's, it's truly such an honor to work with people and to hear this very vulnerable part of themselves. And it is just the ultimate, ultimate privilege for me. So I just, um, I just, I guess I'm just thanking all, all the people that I do work with. And if you are interested in working with me, I just thank you for your, your courageousness and reaching out. We will link all of that in the show notes as well. So if you didn't have a pen and paper ready, you can find that in the show notes for the show. Maria, I want to thank you so much for joining us once again. You're so welcome. Thank you, Corinne. Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com slash podcast, where you can find social links and more for our guests. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.